0: Welcome to About Faith with Alec Klein. I'm honored to be your host of this weekly half-hour program airing on HLE Radio every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Central and replayed Sundays at 5 p.m. Central. We'll be hearing inspiring stories from people from all walks of life, sharing with us their journey to faith. Today we're with Jim Rutherford, otherwise known as Pastor Jim. I have a feeling he might tell us there's a calling on our lives, no matter how much we ignore it. And ignored, Jim tried, ignored it when he got into gambling, ignored it when he sold drugs, ignored it when he was arrested and served time behind bars. But then Jim couldn't ignore the calling any longer. Let's hear this amazing story from Pastor Jim. Please start from the beginning.
1: I will, Alec. Thank you for having me on today. Uh, I grew up in a uh, family of uh, pastors. My dad was a a pastor, a preacher, an evangelist, Um, so we're both of his brothers. Uh, My grandfather, uh, their dad, was also a uh, minister. He's kind of the one that got the whole thing started. So I grew up the first uh, really 20 years of my life uh, in church and and deeply involved in church. You know, there every time um, they met, uh, involved in the youth group all of that sort of thing. Um, I was a teenager uh, and graduated high school in the late uh, 60s. So uh, it was a time when it was kind of a rebellious time, but it was also a time when the uh, Jesus movement was starting and um, was very involved in that, very on on fire for the Lord. But um, I think it was maybe just a sign of the times. there just came a time when I felt like, uh, Alec that I was just missing out on life, that there was mm. uh, a big life out there that I was, uh, uh, not a part of and not experienced. And, um, I really, I was, it was very much like the story of the prodigal son. I just, I chose to, uh, leave my faith and, and really my, uh, connections to home and that sort of thing. And, uh, uh, go out there and see what the world uh, had to offer. Uh, I got involved in um, one of the first jobs I got was uh, uh, as a bartender, and uh, that quickly led to drinking and to drugs as well. Um, the promiscuity, all of that sort of thing. I experienced a lot of things that I'd never experienced before. Um, it kind of quickly led me down the wrong path.
0: Well, let me stop you there, Pastor Jim. How did this happen? Was it an overnight uh, sort of transformation, or was it a slow uh, change that led you down this path? Because as you mentioned, you grew up in, in a family of faith. How did this happen?
1: You know, Alec, for me, uh, really, I uh, at the time, I would have, said this meant nothing to me, but I know it had a huge effect on my life. My uh, dad, I said, was a pastor. He ended up in a a situation with a a moral uh, failure, really, uh, when I was about uh, 18 years old. Uh, He uh, had an affair. I would later find out that he had had a number of those over his life. That was just an area of life he really struggled in, but uh, I think at the time, it really uh, shook my faith to the very foundation. <clears throat> we get so wrapped up sometimes in um, a person as the representation of our faith, yeah. uh, especially in my yeah. situation I, where it was my dad, and he was also the the pastor, Emma, the pastor that I had known all my life. It just kind of rocked my faith. I thought, well, you know, if that wasn't real for him, then, Maybe it's not real at all, yep, and so it, right. it happened. Yeah. It happened. It happened very quickly for me. Um, again, at the time, I would have said, "Nah, that, that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't make any difference at all." But looking back on it, of course, I can see it was a, a huge difference.
0: So down this path you go, and where does it lead you, Pastor Jim?
1: Well, I ended up. Um, I'm you know, just getting further away from the Lord. I mean I I stopped having any connection with church altogether for about the next uh uh eighteen to twenty years. Uh, I uh I just uh, you know, uh, put myself in that in that lifestyle of uh you know, staying up late and drinking and doing drugs. I uh one of the places I uh worked and would later end up managing, it was a, a really nice uh Uh, Supper club uh, had a whole separate section with live music and uh, managing that. And uh, it was frequented by gamblers. And that was kind of when Monday night football was first starting. Anyway, I got involved in sports betting. Uh, I quickly realized that uh, betting was on the wrong side of that equation. And so I uh, uh, got involved with some bookmakers and working for them and later ended up uh, uh, doing that for myself. I... uh, Ended up trying to collect on a uh, debt uh, that someone owed me and uh, ended up getting arrested charged with uh, federal extortion.
0: Well, hold on there for a sec. I mean, somebody owed you a debt, and how did you try to collect on it?
1: (laughs) Well, I went down to see them. I had talked to them on the phone several times. I went down to see them, and I took a couple of people with me. Um, We had... um, uh, the firearms with us, we had guns with us, because I knew this man had, uh, he had owned a sporting goods store, and I knew he had a house full of guns, and I didn't want to be caught down there, um, not ready, or in a difficult situation, so I went down, and I, I talked to him, and I, really, it was, uh, it, it, in that situation, I mean, there was, you know, there were curse words used, and that sort of thing, but it was a relatively calm situation, uh, as I was leaving his house, uh, as we, myself and the three other guys I was with, as we were leaving his house, uh, and there were no threats made or anything inside, but as we were leaving the house, uh, everything was cordial, I told him I'd, you know, but think about it for a week, and he needed to get in touch with me, he needed to take care of this, and about that time, uh, a car comes, uh, he lived out in the country, comes down his long driveway, driving very fast, and uh, two young men in it and a girl sitting in the front seat in between them and they jump out of the car and both have have uh, pistols in their hands and uh, so of course we pulled pistols as well and uh, about six of us stood there with guns pointed at each other you know yelling drop it no you drop it finally the guy that I had gone down to try to collect the debt from said Jim those are the police I said well you're the police I want to see a badge so <laughs> One young man lifted up his down jacket. Sure enough, there on his belt, underneath that down jacket, was a uh, badge. And uh, so we got, uh, we you know gave up and put our guns down. and were arrested. I was actually originally charged with assault on a police officer with a deadly weapon, wow. uh, as well as extortion. But uh, we went through a trial and uh, it took about a week long. And I was ended up found not guilty. Um, uh, at that trial, and I ended up pleading guilty to misdemeanor of careless handling of a firearm. Mm-hmm. And uh, but th- that caused me to decide I wanted to get out of the gambling business. Maybe that <laughs> wasn't such a good idea. Yeah. And uh, so I uh, had ended up meeting either the right people or the wrong people, depending upon how you look at it, but uh, some people that had uh, uh, the ability to uh, – get a hold of large quantities of marijuana. I mean, you know, anywhere from two hundred pounds to two thousand pounds. That that's
0: a that's a lot of marijuana.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And so uh uh I, be- I began to do that and uh, of course I've been smoking marijuana for, you know, several years previous to that and, and uh so we started I I started down that road and uh was fairly successful at that. Ended up going all over the country. I'd go to South Texas or New Mexico or Arizona and uh, uh, pick up loads of it or or oversee loads of it being picked up. Um, Would sell some of it uh, uh, in Oklahoma uh, where I was, but uh, uh, sold a lot of it in the uh, New York City area, uh, uh, around Washington, D.C., some in Florida even. And um, so, anyway, I did that for. several years
0: um, well so what you're describing is that you were a drug dealer on a national level actually is that fair to say
1: yeah, i was i i remember i used to tell people people that you know when you meet somebody it's just a common thing you say well what do you do right? my answer was i was an outlaw yeah. <laughs> i um it's, it's funny i i can look back on it now alec and i i think i was Really, I was addicted to the lifestyle far more than I ever was drugs. You know, for me, it was it was the the allure of that life.
0: Pastor Jim, what was that lifestyle that you're referring to?
1: Well, we were uh, you know I was flying all over the country. I mean, I'd get on a plane and I'd go to the airport, buy a first class ticket to wherever I wanted to go. Uh, When I got there, I'd stay in the very nicest. uh, hotel in town, uh, eat at the finest restaurants. Um, I had uh, ended up moving uh, up into the mountains of Colorado, bought a house up there, and just uh, kind of secluded, just really to get away.
0: Well, where did that lead you to?
1: Well, I eventually um, ended up, as I said, we sold mostly marijuana, although I, you know there were times when about a year or so where we were selling a lot of uh, uh cocaine, um uh, uh other things, just kind of, you know, whatever was uh whatever was available that we felt like we could make money on quickly. Um yeah. I eventually um ended up getting uh, arrested. I kind of was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I uh went by a gentleman's house and uh, the police for a reason completely unrelated to me were watching his house uh, I walked out of his house with a bag that I did not walk in with, and uh, uh, somebody started following me. I, you know, My intuition told me it was the police, but I didn't know him. it was an unparked car. and uh, I eventually kind of pulled over the side of the road. They pulled up behind me, and the guy jumped out, uh, started running up towards my car, so I just took off. I just dropped him back down in gear and took off. And there was a high-speed chase um, involving a number of uh, Police cars, highway patrol, as well as city police, I, they finally ended up getting boxed in and stopped. Uh, they. Um,
0: well, hold on here stopped. for a sec. Yeah. So you literally tried to flee the scene.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: What was your thinking that you could a- outrun the police?
1: I, yeah. Well, I was hoping that I I could at least for a uh, long enough to. Uh, I had drugs in the trunk, uh, at least long enough to to ditch those somewhere. I see. Okay. That if I could do that, then that would take care of the evidence. And so, I see. Uh, uh, and I, I was in a uh, rental car as well. So I, I decided, I don't know. I felt like I, you know, if I if I could break free for a few moments, that I could maybe uh, end up with no real evidence against me. That was my thing.
0: Yeah, had that plan work out.
1: And not well, <laughs> uh, they, they ended up, uh, after I got stopped, we, we sat by the, uh, side of the road, uh, for about, um uh, an, an hour while they tried to convince me to, uh, let them search my car, uh, with my permission. Of course I refused. And, um, uh, so they took me downtown. They, uh. They found in the paperwork on this rental car that the registration number that was written in on the rental agreement did not match the car, and so they—that uh, was the grounds for arresting me. Uh, I had enough cash on me to just uh, had, to bail myself out. I had a thousand-dollar bail, and I had several thousand dollars on me, so I just bailed myself out, and. Um, First, immediately called the guy's house that I had been to and said, you need to get rid of everything you've got because it's going to be a matter of moments before the police are there and search your place. And, um, so get rid of anything you've got and keep your mouth shut before we both go to prison. And, uh, anyway, uh, I then made my way to a, uh, attorney's office knowing it was just a matter of time. And sure enough, they got a warrant, uh, to search my car and it was, uh, 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 they found several thousand dollars in cash, there was also uh three pounds of real uh, manicured high grade marijuana um uh, but then there was five pounds of black Afghani cash uh, I don't remember uh the uh i think in the newspaper the next morning, of course, I made the front page and it was like you know arrested with you know a million and a half dollars worth of drugs.
0: <laughs> Is that accurate?
1: Of course uh, it wasn't really near. Well, I suppose you could have broke it down into tiny little pieces and taken lots of time to sell it, but no, it was nowhere near accurate.
0: What was the worth of the stuff you had in there, in the trunk?
1: It was probably, probably $50,000 mm-hmm. um, or so. Yeah. Um, the only good thing about it, Alec, I ended up going to another trial, and, and, you know, basically they had all the evidence that they needed, so it, it wasn't really a long trial. We basically put the call, stipulated to the facts that, yes, this is what happened, and uh, uh, I was sentenced. I, I, I see God's hand in it, uh, Alec even me back on it, because um, this was not an investigation of me. If this had been a, you know, a year-long or two-year-long investigation of me, what I was doing, um, you know, although this was, you know, 35 years ago, I, I would probably still be in prison. Um,
0: Wait, why do you say that?
1: Well, because I uh, because literally I, we were selling thousands of pounds of marijuana all across the country, mm-hmm. and that uh, would, uh, would have been a, a major crime. Uh, as it was, all they had was just, you know, what I had in my possession. And uh, because i found not guilty on another file, I, I had a clean record. and So I ended up uh, just getting sentenced to two years uh, in federal prison and three years special parole, uh, they called it. And uh, the thing that made it special was if you messed up anywhere along that three years, you got to go back and do the entire sentence. Right. right. So, uh, it's pretty about, <laughs> that's pretty special.
0: That's
1: what's special about it. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. They, 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 actually, since then, I think that's been found unconstitutional and they don't do it anymore, but uh, they did at the time.
0: Hey, so let's take a quick break. I want to tell you about this cool new product I just learned about. It's called Mark M-A-R-C. It's a brochure with video content running inside it. Picture a business card, but it's about the size of a tablet. It's light, made of paper, and opens up like a book and plays your video. It's perfect for a business wanting to pitch a product or service to their customers. What makes Mark really cool is the data you get back. It's the first video brochure to use 5G technology, which means you'll know how many of your Marks were opened how many times, for how long, and more. Learn more about Mark by visiting the ad on my radio webpage or by clicking on the banner ad on the HLE radio homepage or by visiting markmedia.io. That's M-A-R-C media.io. Okay, let's get back to the show.
1: Um, so I'm going to federal prison. I actually um, ended up just spending about six months. Uh, I, I was at the uh, prison camp at Leavenworth uh, in Kansas, and... Uh, my job, because I knew how to type and was fairly smart, I ended up uh, uh, working in the purchasing department of the prison. So I'd go over to the big main prison there at Leavenworth uh, every morning, and they'd pat us down on the way in, and we'd go in, I'd fill I'd orders uh, of inmates or orders of the prison things that they needed find the best price, order those things. Um, but anyway, I um went to a halfway house for about three months after that. And then I was on uh probation of course after that. I uh, the, to me, uh Alec, I, I it's probably the wrong way to look at it. I uh I think God was trying to get my attention, it didn't work. Um to me I'd gotten uh busted on a flute and so I went right back to doing what I was doing. Um I figured the only likely way that I would end up uh, uh, getting caught was to come up with a dirty UA that I had to take, and so I uh, I quit using drugs altogether myself. By that time, I'd been around them so long I didn't need to try them out or anything. I mean, I could just I could just tell by the you know the the, uh, the the smell and the look and the feel and, and whatever whether anything was good or not.
0: By the way, Pastor Jim, you're mentioning uh, a urine analysis. In other words, you, you didn't have to worry about failing a test.
1: Yeah, I just felt like if I did if I didn't fail a drug test that it wasn't likely they were gonna catch me doing anything. So Or if I did, if I got caught in some other way then it wasn't gonna matter anyway. So so anyway, I uh but there were times there were times I remember uh when I would be you know, in, in New York or in the D.C. area or uh, uh, in Oklahoma or, or Arizona or wherever, and uh, uh, my wife at that time would uh, call me and say, hey, your probation officer, federal probation officer called, and you have to report within 24 hours to, uh, to a UA, and uh, I'd just get on the plane wherever I was, and fly into the airport there in Denver, take a cab to the probation office, have the cab wait on me while I went inside <laughs> and and talked for a little while with my, you know, hey, how are you? Doing great, all that with the probation officer, did my test and then I'd go back and get in the cab, go back to the airport, fly back to wherever I was, you know, whatever deal I was doing. Yeah. And uh anyway, that uh that went on for several more years. I uh, ended up, um, as far as they could see, I was a a model client, and so I ended up getting cut loose from uh, special parole about a year early. Um, I found out about that time, uh, Alec, that my uh, wife was pregnant. Now, she and I, at this point, I mean, our relationship had become pretty rocky. I mean, I was traveling all the time. I was gone all the time. Uh, And so uh, she'd gotten pretty sick and tired of all that. Uh, So anyway, um, she told me she was pregnant, and we decided that the only reasonable thing to do would be to have an abortion. And uh, we ended up making an appointment, and I I ended up taking several several trips, and, and so we kind of put it off for a while. And by the time we finally went, the doctor said, well, I'm not sure, I, I think maybe you're too far along in this pregnancy for me to do uh, the abortion, but of course I can refer you to somebody else, that won't be a problem. And um, But he wanted us to have an ultrasound done, so we went to the hospital, uh, St. Luke's Hospital in Denver, and uh, uh, had an ultrasound done, and uh, the girl was doing the ultrasound, of course, had no idea why we were having it done, and so she's saying, oh, you know, look at the little arms and the legs, oh, there's the baby's face, and she said, and here's the heart, and uh I sat there and looked at that screen and could just see that little heart beating, and uh, then she reached over and turned the sound up so you could actually fill the room with the sound of that heart beating, and uh it changed my whole perspective. I, I knew that that wasn't just a Fetus, just some, you know, um, a bunch of cells, but was a, a human being. And uh, neither one of us, my wife or I, said anything to each other, of one word. After that, we got in the car, we started back uh, towards the house, up in the mountains. It was probably an hour and fifteen, an hour and thirty-minute drive at in Denver. And uh, we're almost home. And I uh, said, I don't know about you, but I, I just I think this is a God thing. I think God must have some purpose in this. and, and I, can, I can't do this. I, I can't go through with this uh, abortion. And I uh, said, I know things are bad between us. And, uh, I'm sure you've thought lots of times about leaving. And so, you know, if you'll just have this baby, I'm, I'm happy to be completely responsible. And once you have it, you can do whatever you want. You know, we're good. See you down the road somewhere. But Uh, She said, though, that she felt kind of the same way, that uh, God must be, uh, there must be a purpose in it. And uh, I told her the other thing was that uh, if I was going to have a child, that I wanted that child to be raised in the same kind of home that I was, and that we had nowhere close to that home, and the first thing I was going to do was start going back to church. And so I uh, went that next Sunday uh, by myself. My wife was sick, a lot of morning sickness. and. uh, I went to some little church in Evergreen, Colorado, walked in the back door, and uh, they were playing some old hymn. Um, I recognized at the time, I'd probably sung it a you know a thousand times as a kid growing up. Um, I don't know what it was now, but I recognized at the time, I sat down on the back row of that church, and it uh, just broke. I began to sob and weep, and... and um, Alec, as clear as, you know, your voice is to me or as my voice is to you, I, God said to me, welcome home, Jim, welcome home. And uh, I, they, uh, they must have thought I was crazy at that little church because I ended up just really sobbing through the entire service. Um, I, I started going back to church. We did on a regular basis. I kept getting more involved and finally began to feel God's call on my life uh, uh, to preach. Uh, be a pastor. I I felt that when I was a young man. I I ignored it and ran from it, turned my back on God, but God never turned his back on me. And uh, when I was there and and ready to begin to seriously consider that call, that God was there to uh, open doors, uh, I ended up moving from Colorado back to post-Oklahoma. to take a little church, uh, to become a pastor there. I got involved in prison ministry. I ran into a guy that uh, I had actually gone to uh, Bible college for a while and uh, ran into a guy that uh, I'd gone to school with uh, that was preaching in Tulsa, and uh, he was doing prison ministry. He uh, said, hey, you know, you want to do this with me? And I said, yeah, absolutely, man. Let me do that. He said, well, fill out some paperwork, and we'll turn it in. They'll run a rap sheet, and then they'll approve you. You'll be able to go in with me. So I did, and he called me about two weeks later and said, "Uh, you really have a rap sheet, don't you? (laughs) I said, yeah, I'm pretty extensive. But it turns out, another God thing, the uh, warden of the prison that he was going into uh, was a guy that we'd also gone to uh, a Christian college with and uh, the uh, chaplain of that prison was a guy that uh, I had known growing up in Wichita from the time that we were probably in junior high school. And uh, so they approved me despite my record. And uh, I remember the first day I went in, uh, my friend introduced me to everybody and said, I'm sure Jim would be glad to answer any questions. And one of the inmates at the back said, so, Jim, is this the first time you've ever been in prison? I said, (laughs) well, I'll put it this way. This is the first time I've ever been in prison I was going to get to leave when I wanted to leave. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I just kind of had a natural connection. Uh, so we ended up, um, uh, I ended up getting involved in prison ministry and, and did a lot of that over the next uh, 13, 14 years. Uh was privileged to work with Prison Fellowship and with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Um, I ended up getting involved in a, a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, called God's Shining Light that uh, <laughs> reaches out to uh, prisoners, to people in addiction, uh, prostitution, um, all of that sort of thing, kind of the forgotten and forsaken of society. Uh, I'm an associate pastor there, and then I'm also uh, on the board of directors and work for a a faith-based sober living program called Peace of Freedom, the largest program in this part of the country.
0: Pastor Jim, if I could stop you there for a quick sec here, we're we're running out of time here. But this sounds like a, a radical transformation. Uh, is there any other way of describing it? No,
1: it really was, uh, Alec. I, I, uh, I, in a sense, I, I guess I, I, a lot of times, just told people how blessed I was that you know once I decided really. Um, to change my life, you know that my life needed to be changed. Uh, of course, I, you know, it was the power of God, of course, uh, working in my life. And, uh, the fact that God's call is irrevocable, you know, He doesn't take that back. No matter what we do, no matter how we mess up, uh, He is faithful in that. He's uh, uh, has a plan and purpose for our life, and once we're ready to step into that plan, that He's ready to. Uh, do all that we need to be done to uh, to make this that man or woman.
0: Pastor Jim, unfortunately, we're out of time here, uh, but I uh, want to thank you for sharing this incredible story. Uh, it's really uh, amazing and inspiring for, I think, what it represents, which is in some ways about second chances. So I just want to thank you so much. So thank you, Pastor Jim.
1: Well, Alec, I appreciate it. Thank you
0: thanks for listening to about faith with alec klein please stay tuned for our next episode airing on hle radio every tuesday at 9 p.m central and replayed sundays at 5 p.m central we'll be hearing inspiring stories from people from all walks of life sharing with us their journey to faith i'd love to hear from listeners please reach out to me through my website alec that's A-L-E-C-K-L-E-I-N dot net. Until next time, have a great week.